morning. Wow. I got to define the wow, don't I? It is not that it's sleeting and all that stuff. Um, it is that worship. It is that we, we, get to, we get to do this. We live in a country where we get to come together and we get to sing about our God, uh, who, by the way, is still alive. He rose over 2,000 years ago, and he's not going backwards. He's moving forward. That's good news for us. If he's alive, we have a chance of being alive, right? This is really good news. Here's the way I would, would equivalent it. I mean, you like to get gifts. Anybody enjoy a good gift, right? Um, you like to get things that are, that are new. I, I love things. New car, anybody? New, new, that's right. Uh, yeah, new, uh, new outfit. I mean, guys and gals, I mean, sometimes that's right. New house, new, just whatever. Just, it's fun. That's a great gift. Let me just tell you, what we just experienced today is an even greater gift than any of that. I'm, I'm serious. I'm, I'm saying that there is something that happens in the midst of worship. If you can get past the religious experience of, of church and connect with a God who loves you and all heaven has to be joining us in, in that song, those songs, and, and let God in that moment be God because it's one of the moments when we're not talking about ourselves. We're actually singing to God. Man, he awakens our heart if you'll allow him. That's what that singing does. And so we say, Jesus, Jesus... You make the darkness tremble. Who else does? Do you know what I mean? I mean, here is, here is, here is a truth. That, let me ask you this. We're in this series, Valleys. How many of you are, at, just full honesty, we're family, are in some kind of valley, trial, difficulty, difficulty hardship, persecution, insult, however we could list that out, trouble, Man, I'm, I'm experiencing that. Raise your hand. You just, I'm in some, one of those. Awesome. Can I just tell you, you are, you are perfectly postured, perfectly positioned to communicate to a lost world the power and greatness of God right now, right where you're at. Because we serve a God, Jesus, and we'll talk about him all the time, makes the darkness tremble. And if the Jesus that makes the darkness tremble is the Jesus that lives in you, then you make the darkness tremble. You have the ability and potential, even in the midst of your difficulty and trial, to make the darkness tremble because you have Jesus, not because you have you. I mean, this is really, this is really paramount. This is, last week we got to talk about James chapter 1, verse 2, 3, and 4, that we should consider it pure joy when we face trials of many kinds. Consider it truly exciting when you go through difficulties. Perspective change. Why? Because God has given you a gift, and in the midst of the difficulty, he is shaping your character from the inside out, and only he can do that. That's a good thing. And then he says in five, right, goes to five, that he wants to give us wisdom. There is a way to process trials and valleys and the difficulties we go through in a way that is beneficial to us. And I think if Christians, let me rephrase that, I think if followers of Jesus could actually get a hold of that truth, apply that truth to our heart, and actually live it, we would make the darkness tremble because the Jesus in us would be alive, not dead. Yeah. And the real Jesus, when you meet him, you're never the same, and so he awakens everything within you. Who, would, who wants to, to change the way you see all of life, right? We do. And so what a privilege to stand here in this place and talk about Jesus and sing about Jesus and let Jesus just impact our hearts. That's why we're here. Uh, if this was about religion, I wouldn't be here with you. I just wouldn't. I hate religion. If we're talking about religion outside of taking care of the poor, the orphan, and the widow, that's what God calls pure. I don't want anything to do with the attempts of behavior modification and rules and regulations. I want to, everything to do with a Jesus who I allow into my heart and he changes and transforms me from the inside out. And it's what, not what I do, it's who I am. And what I do is a result of who I am. I want dad to look awesome. I want this world to see my heavenly father. And so that's what we're here for. This is what this is all about. And I think, I think we're going to expose the enemy's plans a bit. I think he hates when we do that. And we're going to talk about the devil, Satan, Lucifer. That makes you uncomfortable? Apologize. Still going to talk about it. We wake every, up every day and there's a battle that goes on for your soul. And it is Satan who wants to kill, steal, and destroy, and God who wants to bring you life and life to the full. 
and we make a decision in these moments of which, which side we're going to lean towards. Are we going to feed the spirit of our life or the flesh of our life? And so we're in this valley conversation. I haven't even got to my notes yet. Um, we'll cut and paste as we go. We'll see what happens. Uh, because I believe that God is posturing us as a church. That if 700 people would get this a different perspective on their trials and troubles and hardships, if they would understand the posture that God is trying to move in in our lives that we should take or we get to take in the midst of it, we could make the darkness tremble. Because the enemy of our soul is at work, and he seeks and he prowls in the valleys who he he will devour, and he is a liar and he is good at it. Today and tomorrow and forever. Yep. It's crazy good. He is amazing. So let's dive in, can we? We're talking about valleys. Life is not lived on the mountaintop. That's actually a good thing. Let me, let me unpack this just a bit for you if I can, because I think this is important for us to, to process. We live in a culture that is in massive pursuit of happiness. That is at the top of the list. Matter of fact, that's the mountaintop for culture. And so let's get out of the valleys of life. Let's run from the difficulties. Let's run from the hardship. Let's do everything in our power. Are you with me? To get out so we can be on the mountain of happiness. Here's the problem is that mountain only takes you so high and is overshadowed by a bigger mountain called God that is about joy. One mountain can be influenced by our circumstances. The other mountain, joy cannot be because it's God's. Right? And so what God wants to do or what God does is he takes us to the mountaintops. And in our relationship with God, when we discover Jesus and we step into a relationship with Jesus, that's our first mountaintop. But we don't get to stay on the mountain. It would be nice to live on the mountain, wouldn't it? But that's not where we live. We live in the valley. And so when I say valley, uh, it's important for us to understand a couple things about the valley. Because some people, as we processed last week, are going, well, I'm not always in a valley. I'm not always in a hardship. But you actually are always in the valley. And here's the valley, because I think it's important. Some of the valleys have ditches, right? So every once in a while, you fall into a ditch. But you're in the valley. Most of life is lived in the valley. And the valley is the fact we live in a broken world. Would you agree with that? Watch the news. We live in a broken world, and we are broken people. We have a flesh and a spirit. And the Bible says that our spirit is willing, but our flesh is weak. And so there are times when we're doing well in that, and there are other times we're doing miserable. And most of the time, the trials and the difficulties are there. We live a lot of our journey in the valley. And we have these mountaintops. Man, Peter had some mountaintop experiences, didn't he? He went up the mountain with Jesus of transfiguration and Jesus revealed because on the mountain, I want you to get this, this is important. On the mountain, we get to feel, we get to know, it's knowledge. It's not always faith in the mountain. On the mountain, God is revealing who he is. When you discover Jesus, it's been revealed to you that you've discovered Jesus. Peter goes up and they see Moses and Elijah and Jesus appear like, this is great, we got to stay here. I'll build a tabernacle for all of them. And Jesus is like, no, we've got to go down because there's a young man who has a son who's demon-possessed, and we have to go. So there are people in the valley that need us, and we need the valley. The valley is a gift. We learned that last week, right? And so it's important for us to understand that in the valley is the brokenness. In the valley is where God has called us. In the valley is where we become who God wants us to become. But he uses the mountaintop experiences. Man, Peter and the disciples, after Jesus ascended into heaven, went to the upper room to wait for the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit fell like tongues of fire, right? And they went out from the upper room. They had to go down the stairs out to the people, and he preached, and 3,000 people gave their hearts to Christ. You don't stay on the mountain. But the mountain is the place you see God so you can go in the valley and live by faith. Problem. Now I'll get to my notes. Following Jesus is all about faith. It's all about faith. God gives us these moments of revelation where we get to see. And man, if he only gives you one, is that enough? And we live in a culture of feeling. Faith is trusting when you don't see. That's what faith is. We live in a culture of feeling, though. So most of us view valleys in our lives as an attack on our faith, something that's destroying our faith. What if the valleys are actually the exact opposite? We talked about this last week. What if we need an attitude check? What if life really is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you respond to it? And what if God has laid out our response for the valleys of life? 
So we're talking, we talked last week about a perspective that engages, and I want you to get that, because until we have a perspective, it's hard to engage. But when we have an understanding that the valley is a gift to us as followers of Jesus, we can engage it differently, can't we? Now we're looking a little bit different. And so we ask the question, how do you see the valleys of life? This week, we're talking about posture in the valley. How do I receive the valley experience? Okay, how do I posture myself in a way that equips? How do I let the valleys of this life equip me, not destroy me? How many of you would like to know that? When you step into a relationship with Jesus, that is his aim and that is his desire. And so here's the perspective shift, if we can. From last week, the world is about building our happiness. But God is about building our endurance. One is about building a feeling. The other one is about building faith. The endurance of our faith. How many of you, your faith could use some endurance? Right? I'm with you. And so that's why God sends the trials of life to build your faith, to strengthen you, to actually save it. Isn't that amazing? So we learned that perspective last week. So here's the thing I want to give you, and I want you to, as we prepare for the posture, and I, I hope this comes across this morning, how we receive the valleys, the posture, if you will, can be summed up in this statement by Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 1 through 10. He says this, when I am weak, then I am strong. Answer that. <laughs> Might be God. If it is, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, don't do that to me. Come on, I'm ADHD as it is. It's like, squirrel! I'll answer the phone for you next time. I know, now you're heavily embarrassed. I apologize. <laughs> it's your fault. Anyway. <laughs> Everybody watching live stream is going, what's happening? What is, what's going on? Nothing. Um, so, so when I am weak... Then I am strong. You thought I wouldn't be able to make my way back, but we have. <laughs> what does that mean? When I am weak, then I am strong. At first glance, it doesn't seem to make sense. As a matter of fact, it seems to contradict itself, doesn't it? When I am weak, then I am strong. Now, I have to tell you, as a follower of Jesus, this will make sense. If Jesus is not the Lord of your life, it may not. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, let him be the leader of your life, this will make sense. And not only will it make sense, but this is going to relieve you of a massive burden. Matter of fact, maybe a lot. Paul wrote these words when he was struggling with an issue that he described as a thorn in the flesh in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He said, I have this thorn in my flesh. And he's saying, when I'm weak, I'm strong. So how can you be weak and strong at the same time? Maybe you can be one, maybe you can be the other, but you can't be both. And he's saying, no, you can. And this is the key. So we're not sure what this thorn in the flesh was, and here's why that's good news for us. Because if they were to tell us what the thorn in the flesh was, we would be able to say, oh, that doesn't relate to me because I don't struggle with that, and we would push it off. So they don't define it. So guess what? You're all in. Because we all have things that... Paul is describing that become thorns in our flesh, difficulties to endure, persecutions, hardships, troubles, all those things. So he says, I'm not sure what, the, what it is. We don't know what it is. He has this thorn, but the severity of the trial was so bad, the Bible says it weakened him. Have you ever had something weaken you? That you, can't, you don't have control over? You can't beat yourself? Here's what's true. When our lives are running smooth and devoid of trials, we tend to rely on our own strength. That's true. Our human strength, as if we can accomplish things. It's called self-sufficiency, which we could spend a whole lot of time on this whole self-sufficiency thing. And I'll say this now. I'll probably say it again. Self-sufficiency is actually deficiency because we're going to learn about a, a grace that is sufficient. A different sufficiency, if you will. Somebody argued with me recently. They, I, I said, I don't want my kids to be self-confident. I think that's dumb. And they're like, why wouldn't you want your kids to be self-confident? Of course you want them to be self-confident. I said, no, I want them to be God-confident. See, because they're determining who they are. They don't even know who they are. So self-confidence is only confusing because we don't even know what that means. But God-confidence, I know what that means. 
I know that he's already said who they are in him, and that makes all the difference in the world. I don't want them confident in themselves. Good Lord, how many of you have done well for yourself in that area, right? Like We make mistakes, but God, he doesn't make them. And so I'm clinging to what he says about me, and I want them to say the same thing, to have these moments, if you will. So this strength, our strength, doesn't compare to the almighty divine strength of Jesus. So when our life is gripped by difficulties and storms, our strength fades and we become weak. Does that make sense? And what is society's greatest fear is weakness. It is. Like, we don't do well with weak. Don't be weak. Don't you cry. Don't let them see you sweat. Don't drop your guard. I got to do that at least once a, a Sunday becoming a habit. I apologize. Listen to this. What is society's greatest fear becomes God's greatest moment. What is society's greatest fear, weakness becomes God's greatest moment. When I am weak, then I am strong. And so we go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verses 1 through 10. And I'm going to invite you to stand because this is God's word and I want to give it the honor and respect it deserves this morning. Starting in chapter 12, verse 1, Paul speaking to the church at Corinth. This boasting will do no good, but I must go on. I will reluctantly tell about visions and revelations from the Lord. I was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago, so don't build a theology on this. He's not saying there's levels of heaven. He is saying that he was close to God in this revelation. Whether I was in my body or out of my body, I don't know. Only God knows. Yes, only God knows whether I was in my body or outside my body. Only God knows. But I do know, you ready for this? That I was caught up to paradise and heard things so astounding that they cannot be expressed in words. Things no human is allowed to tell. Like, I want to know. Don't you? He's not going to tell you. That experience is worth boasting about, but I'm not going to do it. I will boast only about my weaknesses. If I wanted to boast, I would be no fool in doing so because I would be telling the truth. But I won't do it because I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they can see in my life or hear in my message. Even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God, so to keep from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. That's going to be fun to talk about. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away, this thorn. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Lord, just in these moments, I pray you would open our hearts, open our thoughts, open our minds, and we will give you the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Just to, to throw a few more uh, scripture at you as you're being seated. Um, and we're going to unpack this together here in these next few moments. Luke 22, 31 through 32, Jesus says to Peter, he's, he's, he's about to put his foot in his mouth, and Jesus knows it because he's about to say how he'll always be there for Jesus and never deny him, and Jesus is about to tell him, actually, you will deny me, that part in Scripture. And so Luke 22, 31 through 32, Jesus, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked. Just focus there for a sec. Satan has asked to sift each of you, and now he's talking to all the disciples, and now he's talking to us. Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat, but I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that you're what? Faith, because it's always about faith, that your faith won't fail. And then we see in Job chapter 1, verse 8, this is, this is great, by the way. First of all, did you know Satan has to ask? Just, I didn't know if you knew that or not. And in Job verse one, uh, chapter 1, verse 8, right before this happens, verse 8, Satan comes into God's presence, and God goes, hey, where you been? What a wonderful question. See, there's only one person who's omniscient and omnipresent 
all-powerful and everywhere. It's God. Period. And so Satan's response to him was, I've been roaming the earth to and fro. Of course you were, because that's what you do. You roam. You're not everywhere. He's got minions everywhere, but he is not everywhere. Are you catching this? And so he comes into God's presence, and he's, God says, hey, where you been? And he says, I've been roaming the earth to and fro. And here's what God says in verse 8. Then the Lord asked him, Satan, have you noticed my servant Job? What? Hey, Peter, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. So when he's done. Then the Lord asked Satan, have you noticed my servant Job? He's the finest man in all the earth. He's blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. You can go back later and read all the things that are happening there. But with all of this in mind, I want us to dive in to maybe understand what does it mean to have a posture of weakness, to embrace the weaknesses of life, the weakness in the valley. That's the posture we're talking about. In a culture that tells us, be strong, man up, woman up, grab yourself by the bootstraps and get on through it. What if that actually isn't what you're supposed to do? What if there's a different response? See, what makes following Jesus so difficult is that the truth of God's word almost always flies in the face of culture. Almost always. Paul has this amazing experience, one he could boast about. He says, that experience is worth boasting about, but I'm not going to do it. I will boast only about my weakness. That's counter to culture, isn't it? I mean, something good happens. It's like, whoo, did you see me? Like, there's some really good stuff happening. You should want to be around me. He says, that experience is worth boasting about, but I'm not going to do it. I will boast only about my weakness. It's counter to culture. Paul has decided who he wants to make life about. Do you want to know who he wants to make life about? Jesus, not himself. The world we live in wants the power to escape weakness. And I want, I want you to hear this. Okay, I'm not saying there's not something, a role that we have in the process of freedom. But the world we live in wants the power to escape weakness, but God through Jesus offers the power to endure weakness. Endure weakness. Be in the midst of weakness and endure, building our faith, keeping our faith alive, keeping us with him. Is that making sense? And so the world says, don't be weak. Don't let them see you sweat. Don't be vulnerable. Don't be transparent. That's a sign of weakness. Don't let your guard down. But our posture is to embrace your weakness, and so it's simply to say, I am weak. It's being able to admit that I'm weak, that I actually can't, but God can. That's actually being poor in spirit. I can't, but God can. Let's unpack this a bit, if we can, these last few moments. I want to answer three questions really quick. What weakness is Paul talking about? What causes the weakness, and what is the point of the weakness? And I think the text this morning answers every one of these questions. And it's important that we ask and answer these questions because knowing these things and being reminded of them in our hearts that they're God's truths gives us the strength to live and endure and often even thrive in the midst of many weaknesses when we're at a rush to get out of them. It's why I said last week, if you were here and you missed it, I'll say it again. It's why I think that when the disciples woke Jesus up because there was a storm and they were scared, he walks up on the deck of the ship after taking a nap and says, Oh, ye of little, why is that of little faith? I don't understand. And then he says to the storm, Peace be still. And it quiets down and they go, Wow, who is this that even the sun and or even the storm and the cloud, whatever, obeys. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> My mind is going in a hundred directions. Instead, they opt for the cheaper miracle when they could have rode the storm knowing Jesus was there and had a story on the other side that even in the midst of the storm, God was with them and he made them stronger. It's a better story. They wanted out. They wanted to get out. So it's important that we understand. So what weakness is Paul talking about? Well, he's saying, God, take away my weakness. Take away this thorn in the flesh. Each time he said, Jesus says, my grace is sufficient. 
My grace is all you need. My love, my mercy, my strength, my presence, it's all you need. My power works best when you're weak. Why? Because when we're weak and we allow God's strength and God gets seen, when we power up and try to make it through ourselves, we get seen. Whether it fails or succeeds. So now I'm glad to boast, Paul says, about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure. Remember, we talked about in James chapter 1, consider it pure joy. That was James. Now Paul is saying, I actually take pleasure in this. That this is good. In my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and trouble that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And this is so... This is a hard shift. We need God to help us make this shift. Only God can do this. What he summarizes his weaknesses in verse 9, he spells out in four other words in verse 10. Insults, hardships, persecution, and trouble. You ever had those? Let me define them and help you identify. Can we do that? Insults. When people think of clever ways of making your faith or your lifestyle or your words look stupid or weird or inconsistent. You ever been insulted? This is participatory because some of you are sleeping. This will help you wake up. I know this is a lot. I get it. Insults. So, boy, how many of you just fired right back and took them out with your words? Good for you. Hardships. Circumstances forced upon you. Reversals of fortune. Against your will. This could refer to any situation where you feel trapped. You didn't plan it or think it would be this way, but there you are, and it's hard. It's a hardship. Anybody been there? Boy, you're fighting your way out, aren't you? Mm, you're going to get out of that, right? Kind of that fight mentality. You can do it. Persecutions, wounds, or abuses, or painful circumstances, or acts of prejudice or exploitation from people because of your Christian faith or your Christian moral commitments. It's when you're not treated fairly and you get a raw deal. You ever been persecuted for your faith? Did you persecute them back? You let them have it, right? You're getting the point? Troubles, the idea of, is one of pleasure or, or pressure or crushing or being weighed down. Circumstances that tend to overcome you with stress and tension and anxiety. You ever had any of those? Troubles? Paul isn't talking about sin or a certain behavior or bad choices. Paul isn't boasting about his bad choices or behavior. Weaknesses are circumstances and situations and experiences and wounds that make us appear weak. Things we might get rid of if we were... Things we might get rid of if we were strong enough. Boy, sometimes it's not good to be strong enough. Let me illustrate. If we were strong, we might return the insult with such an effective put down that the opponent would wither away. And everyone would admire our wit and cleverness. You're good. Well, you just won them over. Hardships. If we were strong, we might take charge of our own fortune and turn back the emerging hardship. And change our circumstances so that they go the way we want them to and not force us into discomfort. Persecution. If we were strong, we might turn back the persecution so quickly and so decisively that no one would mess with us again. Don't mess with them, man. Troubles. If we were strong, we might use our resources to get out of the troubles or distress as fast as possible. Or take charge of the situation and marshal up our own resources so massively as to minimize its pressure. And in all of that, you want to know who people will see? You. But if we're honest, we don't often have the strength in ourselves. And when we do as followers of Jesus, we utilize it different than the world does. And I want you to get this. I might stop here. Maybe this is enough to process. For starters, Jesus tells us don't return evil for evil. But we do, because we're hurting, and hurt people hurt people. 1 Corinthians 4, 12 through 13, Paul's describing our posture and what it looks like. He says, we bless those who curse us. You ever prayed for somebody you don't like? Every day? You kind of stop not liking them. We're patient with... We're patient with those who abuse us. We appeal gently when evil things are said about us. 
Yet we're treated like the world's garbage, Paul says, like everybody's trash right up to the present moment. Here's the point. This kind of lifestyle, this kind of response to abuse looks weak and sad and lame and anemic and inept, inept to a world who thrives on pride and equates power with the best comeback. So weaknesses are experiences and situations and circumstances and wounds that are hard to bear and we can't remove, either because they're beyond our control or because love dictates a different response, like not returning evil for evil. Second question we ask, what causes the weakness? Well, this is the fun one. What is the source? Where do these weaknesses come from? Do they come from God? Do they come from Satan? Do they come from both? Now we come to Paul's thorn in the flesh. In verse 1 through 4, Paul it, it has this amazing revelation of the glory of God. He was taken into heaven and showed things that can't be talked about on earth. Isn't that awesome? It's pretty awesome. Paul's like, hey, how was your day? It was good. good. How was yours? It was awesome. Went to heaven. Oh, you went to heaven? Are you kidding me? No, I did. It was awesome. You didn't, but I did. What did you do in heaven? Well, God talked to me, told me incredible things. What did he tell you? Can't tell you. But he told me and not you, so who's awesome and who's not? Right? Because that's what we would do. We go to heaven and see all these things. We come down and be like, first of all, I went to heaven. That's awesome things. Here's what I saw. I'm not supposed to talk about it, but I am. put that in here just to wake you up a bit but it's true it's a mountaintop experience Paul had a mountaintop and so in verse 7 he says even though I've received such wonderful revelations from God so to keep me from becoming proud I was given a thorn in my flesh as a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud see listen church God opposes the proud but he gives grace to the humble what's humility humility is admitting admitting weakness that's humility. Where does grace come? I'm going to give you the punchline before you get there. Grace comes from a posture of weakness. You receive grace. Do you know what doesn't receive grace? It's a posture of strength that powers up to push your way through. There's no grace in that. You're on your own. And God will let you. And you fall again, he'll bring it back again. Until you get it right. Paul's saying, keep me from exalting myself. Keep me from becoming conceited. See, this thorn in his flesh, and we, again, we're not told what it is. It's one of the weaknesses he's talking about. And we know this because of verse 8 and God's response in verse 9. Three different times, I begged the Lord to take it away. How many of you have done that? You've asked God to take the storm away. You've asked God to take the difficulty away. Maybe it's the wrong prayer. But pray it. Because God will respond, and he does. Three times, he tells him no. <laughs> it's awesome. He says, my grace is all you need. My love, my hope. My assurance, my mercy, it's all you need. My power works best in that moment. So the thorn in the flesh is a weakness. Where did it come from? Paul calls it a messenger from Satan sent to torment him. Oh, this gets really good. So we know that some weaknesses come from Satan, and his goal is death and destruction and misery. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy you. He's in the valley, roaming like a lion, lying to you. But Satan isn't the only one at work here. God is at work too. This thorn is not just the work of Satan to destroy. It's the work of God to save. And God knows it. He's like using Satan. That's awesome. You, I'm going to let you do it because I know that in this moment, I'm about to make them better. Dummy, you keep doing this. And God keeps making us better. If we allow him in our weakness, we are made strong. Because of the grace of God. This is awesome. How is God at work? Paul's saying he's preventing pride in me. The work of Satan in our lives is to produce pride, not prevent it. So if you got pride, that's the devil. I'm not talking about the good pride where I'm proud of my kids. I'm talking about pride that says I won't open up. I won't be vulnerable. I won't let them see me sweat. I won't say I don't know. That's how he kills the devil, either with pride in what we have done or despair over what we haven't done. 
Paul's revelations in paradise made him vulnerable to pride and self-exaltation. So I hate self-exaltation. So God uses the hostile intentions of Satan for Paul's good. Get that? He's, he's using what the enemy wants to do through the trial and difficulty that he's allowed to come for your good. Oh, that's good. So God appoints the thorn of Satan for the work of salvation. The other reason we know the thorn is God's work and not just Satan is that when Paul prays, verse 8, that God would take the thorn away, the Lord says, no, because my power is made perfect in this weakness. In other words, I have a purpose in what's happening to you. Golly, I want to come and sit down with you, Claude, and talk about it. We should go home and talk about this. God has a purpose in what's happening to you. As a follower of Jesus, it doesn't matter what it is. God has a purpose in what's happening to you. First service, I said this to you, Jay. I'll say it again because you're here. I know 15 years ago you had an accident that's required 27 surgeries, and I know you battle with what you can't do physically, but I'm telling you the person that God has made you spiritually. He has used what was meant to destroy you to make you a man of God. And that's what he's doing. I could go around the, you can clap, I could go around this room. I have some stupid stuff in my past that God is using to make me who he wants me to be. I'll say it again. I have, God has a purpose in what's happening to you. If we could just camp out here. Maybe we should. It's not ultimately Satan's destroying work. It's ultimately God's saving work. Just like it was with Job. You hear me? Just like it was with Job. God permits Satan to afflict his righteous servant and turns the affliction for his good purpose. That book ends awesome. And yeah, you know what? He said, Peter, listen, the devil has asked to sift you like weed. And when he's done, I'm praying for you that your faith will be stronger. And it was. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, Peter died on a cross upside down. A martyr for the kingdom. Preaching his way all the way to the cross. Come on. God's got something good in this. What would happen if we changed our perspective? So what causes the weaknesses? Well, sometimes it's Satan and his destructive designs for us, but it is always our weaknesses that are designed by God for our good. I'll say it this way. It's why the truth of God's amazing grace is so valuable and beautiful in the midst of hardship and trouble. God is in control of Satan. Did you know that? Does that bother you? Satan does nothing to God's children that God does not design with infinite skill and love for our good. So if it's coming, it's because God knows that it's going to make you better. He is going to use the destructive force of the enemy for his good in you. <laughs> Man, <laughs> that's why you can't do it in your own strength. So what's the point of weakness? Well, let's close with this thought. If there's a point or goal for why weakness comes, what is it? Why insults, hardships, persecutions, or trouble? Why can't I find a job? Why am I trapped in this awful marriage? Why does my dad or my mom or my family member have cancer? Why can't I have children? Why do I have no friends? Why is nothing working in my life? Well, one, because Satan hates you. Hates me and he hates you. Detests you. Because as a follower of Jesus, you're a representative of a good God. He hates him. And his goal in life is to torment you. And so we pray for relief. Paul did until he got an answer. But in the midst of it, oftentimes the answer is no. Just because God allows pain doesn't mean he delights in your suffering. Satan does. Just exposing it. Now this is a lot. So it's okay to resist him. The Bible says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. But God isn't always done with us. God's point through Satan's harassment is our humility. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God takes steps to keep us humble. And we go... From I can't to he can. And that is humility. That is poor in spirit. Here's the rub. In our self-saturated culture, this is hard to understand. Because God thinks humility is more important than comfort. Your comfort. Because remember, 
Weakness is the posture that humility takes on. And humility is the funnel that grace pours into. I mean, this is just, this, that's, that's the real message. I've just taken 25, 30 minutes to say it. Because <laughs> I thought you needed it. God thinks humility is more important than comfort. God thinks endurance, last week, is more important than your happiness. That your faith would build endurance. And God thinks faithfulness today is more important than your success. God thinks your faithfulness is more important than your success. So he will give us a mountaintop experience in paradise to show us who he is and then bring us through the anguish of soul lest we think that we have risen above the need for total reliance on his grace. Nope, we need it. The moment you don't think you do, you're in trouble. So his purpose is our humility. And so here's the, here's the, here, here's the if I could say, here's the cap on top of the drink we've been pouring. I don't know. <laughs> sure, it's a cherry on top. If anything, if it wasn't just for your good, which it is, there's something that's bigger. It's to display the grace and power of Jesus. Paul said in verse 9, each time he said, my grace is all you need, my power works best in weakness, so now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses. Why? Counterculture, remember? So that the power of Christ can work through me. Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. So that we can make the darkness tremble. Even in our trials. God's plan is to make us a showcase for Jesus' power, not ours. That's the self stuff. It's just not the way this world thinks or wants it. We want the self-confidence, the self-assurance, the self-sufficiency. Well, guess what? Self-sufficiency is deficiency. We need grace sufficiency. And so... God's plan is to make us a showcase for Jesus' power, not by getting rid of all of our weaknesses. Are you ready for this? But by giving strength to endure and even rejoice in the trouble, in the hardship, in the persecution. So let God be God. If he wills to show the perfection of his son's power in our weakness instead of by our escape from weakness, then he knows best. Trust him. Trust him. Hebrews 11 is a good guide. It says that by faith, some escaped the edge of the sword. Woo! By faith, some were killed by it. Both by faith. By faith, some stopped the mouths of lions, and by faith, others were killed by it. By faith, some were mighty in war, and by faith, others suffered chains and imprisonment. The ultimate purpose of God in our weakness is to glorify the kind of power that moved Christ to the cross and kept him there until the work of love was finished for you and me. The deepest need that you and I have in weakness and trial is not quick relief. It's not our deepest need. Our deepest need is the well-grounded confidence that what is happening to us is part of the greatest purpose of God in the universe, to glorify his son, to lift Jesus up through the grace he provides in the midst of our trial that produces a posture of weakness so his grace can come. That's what it is. That through the power of Jesus, his grace is actually enough. And in the valley, that is what God is doing in our lives. Why be weak? Why allow weakness? Why boast in it? Because when I am weak, as a follower of Jesus, then, and only then, am I truly strong. So our perspective, the valley is a gift. Our posture, embrace weakness. Because weakness opens the doors of grace. And this grace is enough. And when the world sees that, your life, your response to God, Will make the darkness tremble because the power of Jesus will be seen. Your trial, your difficulty, your hardship, your persecution is the greatest opportunity for the church today to show a struggling world that is broken 
what it looks like to be healed. I want you to stand with me. I think for some of you this morning, the truth has set you free a bit. But for some of us, we are weak, and we feel it, and we're not sure what to do with it. And here's what I want to do. If that's you, and man, this is, this is a total risk for the pastor, but we're just trying to lean into what God would want to do. I want to pray for you this morning, because I want to pray that God changes your perspective on your weakness into his greatest opportunity. But it's going to require you to relinquish the control going to require you to posture a little bit differently. And in that, you need the Holy Spirit to help. And I just want to pray with you. So I've asked these guys to sing this song. I didn't do this first service. Just felt like we needed to do this. If you're here and you're saying, you know what? I am, I am going through some things where I am so weak. I want you to know that's a good thing because in your weakness, he can become strong. And you'll become strong because he is strong. And I want to pray that over you. That God would do that. I don't know what it looks like for you. But I know it starts with posture. And so you coming forward during this song would be an opportunity to posture yourself to say, God, I'm weak and I cannot. Can you? And it may not mean he takes it away, but it does mean he'll begin to work in your heart, in your life, through you to others. So as we sing this, and that's you, just come and stand facing me. I'm not going to do anything else. just want to pray over you, and then we're going to go. But if that's you, don't miss a chance to let God speak a word of passion and heart and love and strength and presence over you. you at this point. And God, you know better than any of us that we actually can't do it on our own. We may have some moments of thinking that we did or we can or we have, but in the, in the ultimate end, we, we can't. We need you. And every person that's moved to the front of this room has made a, a, a gesture towards you to say that I need my posture to be weakness, but I don't know how to let that stay. I don't know how to be there. I don't know how to live there. I don't know what it looks like. And I need you, God, to 
meet me at this place and give me strength and let me sense and experience your love and know that you're here. That your mercy would be new every morning in the midst of it and that God, by your spirit, there would be strength. Paul said, and I pray this over you in verse 8, Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. And each time the Lord said no. But here's what he did say. My grace is all you need. My power works best in weaknesses. So that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weakness and in insults. And in hardships and persecutions and troubles. That I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak then I am strong. And so we just pray right now that that would be the heart and the spirit and the knowledge and the knowing of each person in this place that our greatest strength comes from our greatest weakness. And God, in the midst of it, may you show your son Jesus and may your grace be enough and may we tell that story and may we take pleasure in it. I pray today that that would be sealed in these hearts. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Amen. And amen. Yeah, you can clap. I said a lot. I do that often. But here, here's the truth. The devil wants you to think the trials and tribulations are bad. Because to him, they are. He wants to destroy you. But God wants you to see them as his greatest opportunity. Take you on a journey. And by taking you on a journey, he will take this world on a journey. Let's let him do that. Let's be a force to be reckoned with. And let's see these moments as our greatest opportunity for God to show up. And when he does, tell people. And when he doesn't, doesn't keep trusting. Keep trusting. Because we never know the time frame. Only he does. And some died by the sword. And some were freed. So we live in that, and we trust that what God is doing, he's doing for a reason. Love you guys. Love what God is doing here. Let's keep leaning into that. Let's, let's follow Jesus. Have a great week.